this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As promised, we do have Chef Kevin Gillespie, uh, Top Chef alum from season six, also Top Chef dual alum, and uh, we were really upset to see you leave. Um, <laughs> and I think this was one of those, uh, I lost my number one pick, uh, Kevin. Chef, I, I picked in our fantasy draft that we do, I picked Gregory, yeah, my number one overall pick, awesome. and Kevin picked <laughs> you. So we have both lost our number one picks. You know what? It's uh, this season was hard. I mean, I, I'm telling like I'm it's the most obvious thing I could possibly say, but it it genuinely was really really hard. Like every single challenge was difficult. The parameters they figured out, frankly, like the folks who produced the show have figured out how to like tweak it just enough to make it just a little bit extra difficult. And it's nothing you guys can see. It's like we have you know twenty dollars too few in our budget. It's little things like that that they sort of added to the to the all-star version that has it made it a lot more challenging that's so funny because they've never really tested that you don't have enough money which like to me is a great tension moment right uh, who who was the who had the most trouble on the show uh, cons- 
being uh, budget savvy? I think probably Brian Malarkey because he always okay. he wants to like buy everything. You know, he wants to have thirty versions of whatever it was that he was going to do. I never had very much trouble with it because I've always been very good at at sort of ad libbing, I guess you'd say. So when something doesn't work, I just make something else. Um, Stephanie Smart has never had much of an issue with it because she kind of always knew what she wanted to make. But some people would definitely test the boundaries. Gregory, he was hilarious because he would come up to the register knowingly over budget and would like one thing and be like, okay, and then add another thing and be like, okay. And then like he would sort of sort what he was making at the register. That's funny. So, because you can't, as weird as it sounds, like they won't let you run around with a calculator like doing the math while you're in the store. So you oh, have that's to wait. interesting. You have to wait until they ring it up. And then you, like, so the first time you know whether you're over budget is as they're ringing it. And the rule says once it's been rung up, um, like once you've paid, there is no – so basically they can you can have them scan it. But once it's been run through, like you have it, so that's it. Um, and also, pork is cheaper than like scallops and fish and stuff. Yeah, and you know, I'm just like everybody thinks I'm just like they're like, why don't you ever want to cook with anything else? And I keep telling them because we're at a grocery store. Like, like no <laughs> knock on Whole Foods, but I cook a ton of seafood in my in my actual professional life. But I buy from very very specific fishermen. Like I don't know where that stuff's coming from, and I just get weirded out by grocery store seafood. So I usually never end up using it because it creeps me out uh kevin you have a uh i'll say chef because i don't kevin you have a background of the top chef studio uh but chef your background is of one of your uh businesses in in atlanta old reliable and we wanted to ask how are your businesses doing um in response to uh the, the COVID 19 epidemic it's been challenging to say the least so you know we made a decision really early on that we were going to we were going to shut everything down and we were going to shift gears entirely. And I think that that was really challenging to, it was certainly the hardest day of my career to tell my staff, like, I'm sorry, guys, we're all, we're going to have to, we're going to all have to become unemployed, including myself long enough for us to circle the wagons. But thankfully we did that pretty quickly. And so we moved forward doing mostly charity work. And, and I've been very, very fortunate in this respect that we had an idea and it felt like it was the right time. And so we immediately started making phone calls and advocating on people's behalf. And so we got the team back to work and have been making food for a charity that we, that we run called Meals of Love while also doing um, World Central Kitchen on Jose Andreas's charity uh, and then another Atlanta charity called Compassion Kitchen. So we've been really, really hyper busy. That being said, only as of this past weekend have we started reopening to the public. So Revival reopened on Friday. Um, Cold Beer reopens next weekend. Gun Show reopens about one, almost exactly one month to the day from today. Um, and so, and then, but All Reliable, oddly enough, is probably the one that will reopen maybe the latest because it is literally located in like the hub, like central business district in Atlanta. And folks are not back in the office yet. So I, and I don't know that they'll be back anytime soon. It might, that might, it might open next year to be very honestly. Uh, I say this not to flatter you um, being a native Atlanta and I come home like four times a year. The restaurant selections are very important. Where am I going to eat? Gun show is, is honestly, I mean, that and Staple House are my two favorite Atlanta awesome. restaurants. I actually, it was funny because I, the first time I visited your restaurant, I think it was like maybe 15 or 16, 17, it was pretty soon after it opened. I had to do something I've never had to do in Atlanta, which is I had to call in a favor. Like, I couldn't get in. I couldn't get in. I could not get in. And so I called, uh, you know, a friend who's kind of a big shot. And I said, you got to get me a table for three. Like I want to take two friends and I'm not going to take no for an answer and I'm not going to wait. So, cause I don't wait anywhere. And, uh, mission accomplished. And I love, and also I'm a big dim sum guy. Uh, yeah. 
I think there's been this great debate about small plates and there's this small plate backlash. But I like to look at a menu, mark down what I want, and I want as many tastes on the plate as possible. I think it's fun to do it that way, just even the interactive nature of, of a pencil and and but I'm just I'm a I'm a fan of the format. I'm obviously a fan of your food. Um, and it's just like gun show's a fun place to eat. Well, that's it. Is it like when I built gun show, the, the whole purpose of gun show was to try to, you know, for to use a sports analogy, um, because I feel like that's the only way I talk to, to my friends is that like somebody has to constantly try to move the ball down the field. Like we can't always run the safe play. And so gun show is, is the Hail Mary of, of like restaurants and that we said, let's try something. I know that it might not work and that's fine. If it doesn't work, whatever, like it won't, we'll close and do something else. But the thing is, it has worked because it's so experiential. And it's not just about the food. It's about the totality of the experience. You, the guest, are as important to the, to the role in the restaurant. Like, you play an active role in the way it works. And I don't think that's true of most restaurants. Most restaurants, you go in, you're passive. You order what you want, the food comes to you. At Gun Show, that interaction between you and the staff, is that, that's what it is. That's the entire place. And so... Um, We've been very fortunate that it is nearly impossible to get into. It is impossible to get into it right now because it's closed. Um, but we're getting ready, and I'm uh, fingers and toes crossed. Reservations for reopening um, will begin at the end of this week, and we're just hopeful that that sort of that energy that we've had for the last nearly eight years keeps going. So, um, speaking of restaurants, uh, Ke- Kevin and I have talked about the restaurant wars format for this season <laughs> versus years past. This yeah. actually, this background here is when Kevin and I got to go to restaurant wars two years ago in Lexington, Kentucky. And there's Kevin and there's, there's me there and, and our partners. Um, so we got to see firsthand what it is like to get in a backed up restaurant. Yeah. We waited for an hour in line. They, they poured rosé down our throats to make <laughs> it feel better. Um, it was hot. It was sticky. And we got a first first person account of what it's like to be in this uh, pop up restaurant wars. And um, you won the pre uh, the pre episode of restaurant wars for country captain. And I know that you've been outspoken about restaurant wars in, in past seasons. Yeah. So can you walk us through um, when you found out about this year's restaurant wars and kind of the bittersweet element of winning the the country captain concept and going into the next episode? Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, I didn't intend to win. Uh, I was actually, it's funny, like I play to win a hundred times out of a hundred, but the reality is that I was trying to land squarely in the middle in that free challenge. <laughs> um, I did not want my restaurant chosen because I, I am a very, very outspoken critic of the format of Restaurant Wars. Um, you know, I, I've never backed down on the fact that I don't like it. I don't think it's realistic. And more importantly, I guess maybe because I, because I am a restaurant chef. Not every person who competes on Top Chef is an owner-operator, but I am. And so I take I, – I think I take a little bit of um, – it's a bit – offensive to me the way that they conduct restaurant wars because it i think it takes away from the reality of like how hard it actually is and how much work and the fact that that it's not it's never responsible to open prematurely it's never okay to do any number of the things that are okay in restaurant wars you know i would never open with an untrained staff i would never do any of these things and so i i think i get a little too in my head for it which is which inevitably always costs me because i'm unwilling to back off of my principles and just 
play the game, frankly, like compete in the with the rules that are set in front of you. Um, but I'm just a complete hard-headed jerk and won't do that. So, uh, yeah, with Country Captain, it was interesting. When they, when they called the names of the people whose, whose concepts they liked the most, I was happy in a sense because I felt very vindicated in the fact that I had done a good job. And honest to God, like that – that prelim episode where I made all the food myself, um, it was some of the best food I've made all season. I, I knew it was perfect, to be honest with you. And I was kind of torn between the fact that I, I wanted to do really great work, but I didn't want them to think my concept was interesting enough to make into a grand concept. So I kind of purposely left a bunch of holes in it thinking, oh, they'll pick that apart. They won't be able to critique the food. The food will be great but they won't find enough in the concept to be willing to move it forward. And I guess I was completely wrong about that. So, um, which also ended up costing me because frankly, I did pitch a, like a not fully baked concept, which ended up being really challenging to try to piece it all together in such quick order for the actual real restaurant wars challenge. And I think that was part of one of the things that caused us problem is that it wasn't Gregory's concept is an idea he has been working on for two years now. So that's, it was really good. Mine was something I worked on for about 35 seconds. So, by, by the way, did, do we think anybody else sandbagged it? You know, I, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, I asked a lot of them, to be honest with you. I asked them to sort of work way outside of their comfort zone. Um, I, I meant, do you think any other chef was sort of like, I'm going to put forward a pretty mediocre idea, you know, <laughs> cook good food, and I'm going to finish squarely. I'm going to become a sous chef where you're absolutely guaranteed pretty much to move on unless you completely shit the bed. And Stephanie so, got immunity, and she delivered, I think, the 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 neighborhood pub idea, essentially. Yeah. She did, but, I, but I'll say, like, in, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean this as an insult to Stephanie, but Stephanie, her having immunity in that challenge was really important for her because she has literally never, ever even considered opening a restaurant. And so I think that she was terrified at the, what she was being asked to do and incredibly happy to not have to do it. So, um, and I think she would tell you that too, that she does not aspire to have a restaurant. I think that Melissa and Brian Voltaggio, um, I think they tried very hard with their concepts to put it forward. Um, I think that the only reason they didn't pick Melissa's is that it would have been I actually think it would have been so difficult to execute at Restaurant Wars that they thought, okay, we can't do this because we're going to make both teams serve a hundred and something people. And Melissa's concept is to serve 25. <laughs> like, so, um, so it's, it's just not, it doesn't work. Um, Voltaggio's concept, they don't really give much feedback on the show about it, but basically what they thought was that the concept and the food were not cohesive. So long story short, no, I don't think anybody tried to sandbag it. I think that I, have done this so many times. I've opened so many restaurants, not just my own, but have been hired to develop other people's that I know how to pitch a restaurant. The same with Brian Malarkey. I think the reason he was so successful is because he has done this literally countless times. And so um, we sort of made our own bed to a certain degree. Um, what uh, Do you guys, you get to taste each other's dishes. If so, what's the best thing you tasted this season? Well, sometimes, you know, when we really, we get to taste them in uh, quick fires a lot, not very much in elimination challenges. Like generally speaking in the elimination, you never end up tasting any of anybody else's food. So you don't have any idea. Um, But we do get to taste the quick fires quite a bit. Um, 
you know, it's hard for me to like narrow down what was the single best bite of food that I tasted this year. Um, and that's probably, that's just my own fault because I get so jumbled. Um, I will say that one of the few times that I ever got to taste anybody's food was in this very last elimination challenge. Um, and I got to taste Stephanie's pasta because she made, like, I can't believe how much she made. Like, I can't believe she was capable of making that much. She made enough to feed 45 people. And so when I came, when she came back into the kitchen, she still had a lot of it and I ate it and I knew instantly that it was, it was excellent. Like, and I was like, Oh, that's, that's going to be hard to beat. Um, because it was, it was that good. Can we talk a little bit, a little bit about Stephanie's arc here? Because, um, sure. we're, we're heading into the finale and is she that self-deprecating behind the camera? <laughs> yes. Like a thousand times more. I think it's hilarious. She and I clearly get each other's sense of humor. Sometimes my jokes are like, they land dead on people and the same with hers. Sometimes people don't get that she's, She's really funny. I think she's hilarious. She's, she's um, incredible. She's definitely the but, comedy, comedic relief on the show. Yeah. But the funny, the thing is, a bunch of people send me messages and they don't understand that she's joking. They think that like we hate each other. And I'm like, no, we don't hate each other at all. We're, we're friends. Like we text each other. We joke. Like we just have a sort of a funny sense of humor. So I, yes, she's more self-deprecating off camera than she is on camera. Um, and it just plays into her personality. And frankly, like everything about her sort of ride through this season kind of matches that because Stephanie's oh, like Stephanie is her own worst enemy. And I would, I've said it to her face and I've said it a million times. Like she has much more talent than she gives herself credit for. And so sometimes she doesn't have enough hubris, frankly, to, to succeed in every top chef challenge because she gets in her own way. Like she gets in her own head. And I think, I think honestly, the, the restaurant wars pitch episode, is a perfect example of that. I think she was so convinced that there's no way she could pitch a restaurant because she's never done it that, that she kind of messed up. But like the talent's there. It's just, she just sometimes like, she gets, she like beats herself up, which usually it's really funny. But then sometimes as her friend, you have to be like, hey, you know, take it easy on yourself. You're here for a reason. I have to ask you about the pork copa. It was perfect in the kitchen. And then sure. like, so, so what happens is it in it? Cause I'm, I'm a home chef. Like, yeah, yeah I can do a few things, but yeah. is it just do things rest too long on the no. show? No, what I'll, happens I'll, tell you, there? I'll tell you what happened. It's uh, unfortunately what happened is that this is a television show and they're full of shit sometimes. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, you know what? This is, I'm surprised it didn't show up more in the, in the, in the actual episode, but this is normally I'm a very, I'd like to think I conduct myself pretty professionally at judges table and I'll talk to you about it, but I'm very, I'm very professional. And I was not super professional in the judges table because they're, they were just wrong. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. It was perfect. It was one of the most perfectly cut, uh, cooked and cut pieces of pork that you could ever, you could ever imagine. And <laughs> I did get, I was kind of a jerk about it. And I asked it, I asked them at the judges table. Um, I was like, man, I wish there was somebody here who was like an expert in pork, um, you know, maybe somebody who's written an entire cookbook on pork, someone who's oh. considered like an authority on pork that oh. can talk about this. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, that was one of the few times that I have just like absolutely steadfastly disagreed and said, look, if you don't get it, I'm sorry, but there was absolutely nothing wrong with that dish. I, I would fully embrace the critique of my pasta dish. I am not, and, and I'd be the first to admit, like, I'm bad at making pasta. I am not a pasta guy. We don't serve them in any of my restaurants because in my mind, it's a very 
specific nuance. Like you do that. That is your, like you love pasta and you get better and better every year. And I don't love it. I, I physically cannot eat it. It makes me ill. So I don't really make it. But the pork one, nah, that was just a classic case of TV bullshit. Wait, what do they say when you push back? Like they're they're a proud group. Like what happened? There? Oh yeah, they try to like they they sort of like sidestep it. And they're like, well, it probably you know maybe if it had a sauce. And I was like, no, the dish didn't need a sauce. It's not a dish that requires a sauce. And in fact, if you thought it needed a sauce, it already had one. It was called apple sauce. So, <laughs> um, so no, Man, they I wish just, we saw that version of yeah, the like Tom Tom and I like butt heads periodically, but but in a very professional way. Like we just we have that's the thing about cooking and honestly cooking at a really high level. And especially if you're someone who has a particular sort of call it a style, if you will, um, you have very strong opinions about it. And in that scenario, I fully disagree that you put any sort of jus or sauce with a pork copa. It is, it has so much intramuscular fat that the goal is to serve it alongside almost exclusively things that have acidity and, or, or that have some, um, that are, that have some density of texture because it needs that. Like it won't, it doesn't, it's not a sauce cut it's not a it's not a lean piece of pork and so saucing it is very a gilding the lily kind of scenario and frankly it's very much the antithesis of italian cuisine and so um in that particular scenario i just you know we just disagreed and it's one of those things that unfortunately me thinking that doesn't change the fact that he has really the tie-breaking vote and so in that scenario i would go down the same way that i did in season six arguing about the texture of a particular cut of beef that he thought was too tough that i thought was when I've had it in his restaurants, I've said and said to him then, like, I think yours is too tender. I think it's mushy. So, um, so it's just, you know, we just disagree, yeah. man. Like, that's just the way it is. It's just a, you know, professional disagreement, I guess. You'd say. When you found out that you were going to Tuscany, chef, did you, um, did you know that they were going to hit that basement? Um, oh, that no, not at all, man. Like it, it, I had no idea. Um, and for the record, by the way, that place is in Emilia Romagna. So it's technically in another region. We drove like six hours to get to it. Um, it was awesome. And I'm really glad that we went. When I knew we were going to Tuscany, I felt actually pretty solid about it because although I do not cook Tuscan food, Tuscans cook, as far as inside the Italian repertoire, Tuscan food is more similar to I guess the food that I cook, it tends to be very meat centric. I cook a lot of beans and legumes. They're not, they make pasta, but that's not their primary source of starch. Uh, and so I actually felt pretty good about it. Turns out the majority of the challenges kind of worked outside of that realm. They sort of went into the, to either to the fringes of Tuscan food or into the food of Emilia Romagna or other parts of Italy. And, it, and I think that's honestly because, and they told me this after the show was over, that they had already planned to go to Italy, but we were supposed to go to Rome and we couldn't find a hotel big enough to for all of us to stay in. So we ended up in Tuscany instead. Um, I always make the assumption that when you get on that plane, chefs who are looking at a possible finale have their four-course meal sure. in their head. And, and by the way, a, a number of other dishes that you you know probably come up. Um, do you ha did you have your four courser? No, not at all. They ask you for it in advance, and I just said, "Look, I don't really know." Like I wrote down, I think I have a copy of it somewhere, and it says like um, meat, second meat course, probably a steak. Like, and, and so it was like right. very, very vague. But no, you are you are one hundred percent right that I would tell you that I am the exception of the rule that the vast vast majority of people show up with a plan. Like that's the dish they're making followed by this next dish that they're making. And it's just, I can't cook that way, man. I'm really bad at that. And that's honestly, generally speaking in Top Chef, when I stumble, it's in the challenges that require you to spend several days 
working on an idea. I'm, I am, I've never been good at that as a cook. I'm a very um, spontaneous person. You know, you talked about gun show. Gun show is built to, towards my strengths, which is constant change and evolution and being kind of fearless with the way that you cook. And it doesn't, it doesn't suit some of the challenges in Top Chef sometimes. So let's, let's rewind even further to your performance at Last Chance Kitchen. Okay. We, we kind of, we fell in love with Last Chance Kitchen this season. And in some ways, I find it more enjoyable to watch than the actual show. I do. What, what was like that, that experience for you? Because you probably had the, the most epic stretch there of, to, of Top Chef Last Chance Kitchen we've ever seen. Well, so I, I didn't even know what Last Chance Kitchen was. It didn't exist on my se- in season six. They, yeah. they hadn't come up with the idea yet. And so when I found myself in it, I didn't know what to expect. And I was unbelievably thankful that it works the way that it works, to be honest with you. For one, it is more fun. Like you said, it's more fun to watch. It's frankly more fun to do it. Tom's in a, like a much better mood. He's very convivial. Like the whole atmosphere is a little bit different and I like it better, to be honest with you. And then I thrive inside the sort of, if you want to call it quick fire sort of setup, like I just have always done that. Again, it plays to my strengths as a very spontaneous guy. I don't need to know what I'm going to make to start cooking. As weird as that sounds, I, I just start going and things tend to shape themselves out. And so I, I was extremely happy the second I realized how Last Chance Kitchen works. I went, oh, okay, I think I have a, I have a shot at this. And I didn't know when I got kicked off that that was going to be the case. I had no idea. It wasn't until, you know, a couple minutes into the very first cook against Nini that I went, oh, I think I, I might be able to pull this out. Like, because, because it, it is playing right into my wheelhouse and not necessarily everybody else's wheelhouse. Hey, listener, it's your favorite Butcher Turn podcast producer, May, is here to talk to you about Butcher Box. A not-so-wise man once said, it's not that hard, just chop, chop. Who knew that he was talking about pork chops from ButcherBox? It's not that hard. It's easy to get high-quality meat and seafood you can trust, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You get exactly what you need, premium ingredients for your meals to feed your family. I know how it is. You go to the grocery store. You're stressed. You got a lot of food to get. And then you got to wait in line at the butcher counter. Maybe your butcher is a tall man with an attitude. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but maybe it happened to you. That's why I love ButcherBox. You've always got meat in the freezer or in the fridge. You're ready to cook at any time, and you're not going to find such high quality at such low prices anywhere else. So sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and use code dings at checkout to enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus $20 off. Again, that is butcherbox.com slash dings, and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S. Chop, chop! We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, you gotta... Wait, so you were supposed to go to MIT? Or you applied to MIT? <laughs> like, yeah, this I was, is fit. Yeah. I was accepted to MIT I, and, and um, for nuclear engineering. 
oddly enough, uh, and <laughs> and actually went and spent um, the summer semester there, and then made the decision that it just was not the right atmosphere for me. I didn't enjoy it. I felt very kind of out of place, and then um, had already really wanted to cook. Anyhow, had been cooking professionally as my job in high school, and just decided, you know, I think I'm going to hit pause on this whole college thing for a minute maybe save up a little money, do a little bit more cooking, like think this through. And then I just, yeah, honestly, I fell like headfirst into it. And then I never, never went back. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, how many, how many kids from Atlanta grow up in a kitchen and decide to go to MIT or have, well, have want to apply it? Yeah. I don't think very many. And uh, the, the Dean has, of MIT has been to gun show and um, they told me that I, that I'm still the only person out of my high school to ever have been accepted. Hi. She she wanted to she's going to take a nap so she wanted to say, all right have a good nap, thank you girl. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry about that. No, you're good. Yeah, so I guess I'm still the only guy from my high school to ever be accepted to my. Where did you go to high school again? Not to, to get too far. Henry County, so in the suburbs of Atlanta, okay. Henry County High School. So, um, yeah, they, it was cool. Like this was uh, shortly after Gun Show opened, they came down for a visit. Um, and I'm sure it was for the same stuff that happened when I was in high school, where basically if you want to get into MIT, it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging than just like writing an essay or applying. Like there's a lot of in-site visits, you know, in-person visits. So they came into town and uh, they brought me um, some MIT alumni gear and, you know, made me sort of an, an official, unofficial alumni of the school, which was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, one of my favorite details uh, reading your bios is that you um, you apparently were a voice of uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Uh, that was like my favorite stoner cartoon in in, uh, in college. And so finding that out, I have to ask, how does the Venn diagram of MIT right. um, accepted chef and Aqua Teen, Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Uh, it's funny, man. Um TV voiceover work has become like my other career, which is so strange to say, because I don't know how, other than I literally have friends who, who make cartoons for a living. And one day, one of them was like, can you do me a solid, Dave Willis, um, who created Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And he's like, can you come in the studio and do a voice for an alien for the show? I think you'd be perfect. And I'm like, I don't know how to take that, by the way, that you think my voice <laughs> would be perfect for one of your aliens. But I came and I did a voiceover for, for Aqua Teen. Uh, and then next thing I know, I was invited back to do it a couple more times. And then I did Squidbillies and I've done Archer and I've done Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Like I, it's just a weird thing that I've ended up doing now um, many times over. And it's, it's always fun. Like I love doing it. It's, it's, it's a cool way to sort of disconnect from your real life and just truly pretend to be something else. Uh, so I, yeah, hopefully I get more of it, man. I'm I'm down. If you have an adult cartoon you need voiceover, like just give me give this guy a call. I'll bring lunch. So I want to take advantage of your candor. So I, there's always sort of a a battery of questions I love asking chefs and restaurateurs. Uh, one is your least favorite restaurant trend at the moment, aside from everything being closed. That's a terrible trend. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that one. Um, <laughs> let's see, my least favorite restaurant trend at the moment. Tom Colicchio said the the um, the swipes on a the swirls on a uh, on a plate like the oh yeah he definitely hates like swooshes and, yeah, and swooshes. swirls and stuff like that like yeah he he hates that he likes like classic old school plating and I don't I don't blame him I like that too um, but that might also be because I suck at like modern plating so like that's it's easy to hate something that you're really bad at <laughs> um, 
let's see, what are the things that I, I so first of all, I hate that we um, have embraced really bad service, to be honest with you, like a lot of hip, cool, modern restaurants, like have ditched caring about being particularly good at service. They somehow think that that being precise at service is also the same as like being uppity. Uh, and it's not like you can, you can have a really fun, hip, cool, interesting place that has really good service and it not feel like it's formal and fine dining. So I don't really dig that, that sort of like um, standoffish attitude that I get at a lot of like kind of new, new school, cool kid restaurants. That's not my thing. Um, I think the other one is I don't, love the current trend of using ingredients for the sake of using them. Um, I think that, I think a lot of like younger chefs these days haven't gotten to the place that all of us old fogies have where you, where you really analyze a dish and you go like, is that even needed on there? Or are we just doing it for the sake of doing it? And I think that sometimes a lot of the food right now that's getting pushed, a lot of acclaim, you know, um, sometimes it feels like it's a bit style over substance to me. Um, and that's heavy criticism because a lot of those folks are doing are, have immense talent and I can see that they're working towards something. But at the same time, I feel like I constantly have to talk to the folks who work for me and say, like, I think you could do that same dish, take three components away and it'd probably be a okay. little bit better. So to that oh, point, most, okay. Please, my most please. hated room temperature water. I, I hate it. Please stop, <laughs> please stop serving me room temperature water especially in the south like yes if, if we're in like maine room temp is like nice it's like 52 degrees i can handle that but like if i get one more like 87 degree glass of water to go with my meal i might lose my fucking time. i'm totally with you on that okay but to your <laughs> previous point uh most overused ingredient uh when you talk about stuff that's used unnecessarily Ooh, yeah like um i think maybe the most overused thing and it doesn't show up as like a main ingredient but it's everybody's sort of obsession currently with fermenting everything so um and i like fermented stuff by the I, way i, I, I do. do yeah yeah like, that one I, hurt that one hurt chef i do yeah. too but we don't have to make koji out of every single ingredient you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> life like it's just not it doesn't it's not necessary like it's koji's good man but like not my doorknob does not need to be turned into Koji. Like that's not going like, to make the dish more. Oh, by the way, total hack that I've been using, and it's like cheating. I found this product called Liquid Koji. Oh really? I'm not and like it is on a Japanese grocery <laughs> website, and like I just pour it in everything now. It's just I don't know if it's like liquid MSG or just has that. It just has that umami ish. Right, right, yeah. And I I mean, was, Koji's delicious, and it makes yeah. some things amazing. But I have literally walked around my restaurant and been like, wait. Is, what is what did we decide to make koji out of? And they're like, we had all these hot dogs that we bought for family meal. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like we've gone too far. Oh, so funny. yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your um, the restaurant that you can't wait to go back to when things open up, whether it's in Atlanta or beyond? Mm. Well, okay, I'll give you two. So if if we're talking about Atlanta, um, the places that I'm most looking forward to, it's not a single place. It's, it's sort of the little tiny mom and pop ethnic places that are all over Buford Highway in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I love them so much. I, I actually get a tremendous amount of inspiration from them. And they're the places that have been hit really bad. Like they don't have, they're not, they're not finding other sources of income right now. They're just literally drowning. And so I, I can't wait to go back to those. Not only because I love the food, but because I'm, I'm very much looking forward to them reopening. Um, 
Any, any, any ones you want to shout out here? Absolutely. Um, so let's see. Let's, uh, let's take – actually, Snackbox has just reopened. I love that place. It's a Laotian restaurant. Really, really fantastic, and I love it. Um, I can't wait for uh, Masterpiece, which is a Szechuan place, to reopen. I think that place is awesome. Um, there's a Sinaloan restaurant that's just called Pollo Asado Sinaloa um, that is some of the most delicious grilled chicken. I know it sounds super simple, but man, they just nail it. It's so good. And they're actually cooking it over real wood charcoal. So you get like that real flavor and it's, it's just amazing. And then I had this little tiny place that I go get chow fun at, uh, called Ming's barbecue. And, mm. um, I've, I've tried like 13 times to get food there and it's just not happening. I need this place to reopen. It's really <laughs> my life right now. Um, so yeah, those are my little sort of tiny small places in Atlanta that I love. Um, outside of Atlanta, um, I love going to Maine. Like it's one of my favorite places in the country. I love the food in Portland. I just think it's delicious. And I have been craving uh, Eventide in Portland for weeks, months now, and I can't go because they may be open, but the governor of Maine won't let anybody outside of Maine travel to Maine, so it doesn't really matter. To Wait, me Chef, did you when you went to Portland to work? Was that Portland, Oregon, or Maine? No, Oregon. So I went to Portland, Oregon, Got to it. work. Um, I'm just sort of obsessed with Maine because, well, the fat guy. I think fat guys like cold weather, you know? So it's <laughs> like I dig places that it never really gets above 67. That kind of works for me. Yes. Um, Wait, how old are you? How old are you, Kevin? 38. Do you remember, you might be too young to remember, like the first Buford Highway area, like authentic restaurant Honto on Chambly Dunwoody? I don't it I know. Was I like don't the, know it. It's the first ethnic, like real ethnic restaurant I ever ate at. And when it opened in Atlanta, it just was like, it's like we didn't have anything like that. And you went for dim sum and it was like Shambly Dunwoody, not far off of right, right. way. And, but anyway, it's maybe before your time, but I just like, it, it kind of introduced me to, it's like, wait, food is like this. Like I can right. actually go transport myself because it used to be like Mandarin house and Sandy Springs, like all right. that, right. you know, Cl right. America, but, but no, it's just, uh, yeah, that was like the first one. And now it's honestly one of the best eating districts in the country. Well, and so those places really inspired gun show because yeah. eating their food seeing how delicious it was, it gave me the confidence that we didn't have to follow that traditional sort of protein, starch, veg, sauce, garnish, plated, composed food thing like we do in modern American food. That you could you could just make something delicious, inherently delicious, and it didn't have to fit into our classic Western category of like appetizer entree. It could just be, just be delicious food, and you could get a bunch of stuff, and everybody could eat that way. And so really, like, even though the food at Gun Show is not particularly ethnically driven necessarily, um, the system, the idea, yeah. the confidence of it is very much driven by the, the food that I see on, in places like that. Um, off, off the court to use analogy, uh, sports analogy off the court, you and Brian Voltaggio seem to be really close, really good. Yeah. friends. And yeah, we are genuinely good friends. <laughs> and he's, he's a finalist here. And I know that you, um, people know from watching the show that you guys are close in last chance kitchen. You wanted to challenge him mano a mano. Um, I've been told that you were on a hunting trip or you've been on a hunting trip with Brian Voltaggio. And I had to ask, does his giggle scare away animals? And is he a really poor <laughs> hunting <laughs> no you know what he's a really good hunter because he gets just like in cooking like when it's time to do it he's super uber uber serious um and uh so he's really like he's just a focused dude like that man can like turn focus on like nobody's business i'm the one who's much more like just shooting it live at all times um but no brian's laugh is it's amazing but like i, I literally have a, this super clear memory of when we were on that hunting trip and we may have gotten a little too drunk 
And um, he was just cutting up and he, his laugh gets proportionately louder the drunker he gets. And um, as one of our other friends, Kyle Kinane, he's a comedian, he was with us on this trip and he made the comment at one point because Voltaggio was out by the fire pit and you could hear him laughing. We were inside the house, you could hear him laughing. And he was like, wow, Brian's really showing Tuesday night who's boss. So like he was just, uh, needless to say, he was having a rough Wednesday after that. But yeah, he's, he's an awesome dude. We are very good friends. Um, and it's, it's interesting, man. It's just like we connected really following season six. We became friends on the show, but we became real friends like following the show. Um, and I think we realized we had a lot more in common than we originally thought we did. And, and it's been great, man. And honestly, I wouldn't have come back and done All-Stars had it not been for Brian Boltasio. Like he was, they contacted he, he and I, I think roughly at the same time. And we made a pact. We basically said like, if you go back, I'll go back. But if you don't, I won't. And so it was sort of a package deal kind of thing. Kevin, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, I very much hope to be in one of your wonderful restaurants next time I'm in Atlanta, which should be Thanksgiving week if we're doing okay. that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's always great to eat in Atlanta. And uh, this, was, this was fantastic. And congratulations on a great run. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was, you know, for the most part, I was pretty happy with the way that this worked out. You know, I've told everybody who's, who's willing to listen that really the only reason I came back to Top Chef was to, was to tell the story of kind of the journey that I've been on the last few years. It's been a struggle for a lot of it, but I've, I haven't lost hope and I've always tried to, to continue to persevere. And I found out over time that in reality, like that story parallels just the difficult times in life and that journey. And I felt it helped me a lot when I was sick and trying to get better to listen um, to hear other people tell me that they got better, that, that, that just keep going and, and things will be okay. And so, you know, I came back to Top Chef to, to do that, just to talk about that. If I, if I could win the show, great. But honestly, like the winning and the money has never meant anything to me. It was always, could I make a personal connection with people um, who maybe I would never normally in life get a chance to speak to? And choosing to come back to Top Chef was a really difficult decision for me. I was really, I've always been very happy with the way that season six ended for me. Um, I, and in my, in my mind, that was like a single sort of journey. I didn't need to rewrite that chapter. And it was only after getting sick and, and fighting through that and spending a couple of years sick for the most part um, and coming out on the other side that I recognized that going back to the show was actually a really important next step for me because it was, it did a number of things. For one, it helped me sort of finalize my journey to a certain degree. It helped me realize that, okay, I, I'm back. I can compete. You know, I, I was much rustier this time around, and I won't even pretend like I was somehow as good this this time around as I was the first time. Um, but it was still, I'm glad that I did it. Um, but really, more importantly, the whole reason for going back was to sort of to help the next person. And I don't know who this person is. They're not. It's not a specific person. It's more just this idea that when I was struggling and I was fighting, the only one of the only things that really helped me was when other people would reach out. Um, and I got so many letters and emails and phone calls from people I've never met in my life who wanted to share their story with me. And, and the moral of it was always, don't lose hope, keep fighting, don't give up. Remember that this is, that your life can be bigger than this. You don't have to be defined by this illness. And, um, and that helped get me out of a lot of dark spots, like mentally, it helped me keep pushing through. And so I felt like it was my responsibility now to share that, um, that, and Top Chef is the biggest platform I've ever been given in my life, and, it, and it's likely the biggest I'll ever be given. And so going back on the show, I, I never cared about winning the money, and I never cared about winning Top Chef, which I, which I know is just kind of a silly thing to say. But it, 
it doesn't mean very much to me and it never really has. And it certainly doesn't mean that much to me anymore because life is more complex than that. I, I, I know that now at this point that, um, that winning or success as it, as it were for me at this point in this stage of my career is providing opportunity for other people. It's, it's using my platform to speak on the behalf of people who don't have that chance. Um, and it's sharing this story that is important to me, which is that, um, that life constantly throws us not only curveballs, sometimes it just pushes us down in the ditch and, and climbing back out of it can be, can feel impossible some days, but that we all have this capacity for hope inside of us and never letting that extinguish is really important. And so I'm actually really happy with my performance on this season because I stayed long enough to share that full story. And that was always my goal. Are we going to be seeing you this week? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you that. <laughs> well, I don't think um, I saw you in the show preview, so okay. Um, well, then I'll we'll take let it a no be a comment. surprise. Yeah, I'll let it be a surprise for you. Um, let's just say that you know it's expensive to send people home from Italy until everybody goes home. So I'm still hanging around in some capacity or another. I, I mean, at the end of the day, even when I'm not in the episode, I'm really always there. You just don't see me. I'm that guy like behind the curtain, like constantly like needling people. So. I like to joke that I'm just off camera and that the frame has just cut out. So, <laughs> well, um, I'm really, Kevin, go ahead. Or, yeah, no, thanks for sharing your story, and it is a great story. And um, thank you for coming on. Yeah, man, absolutely. I appreciate you guys giving me a chance to chat about it. Obviously, it's one of those that it's a it's a show that people love, and um, sometimes as a participant, you forget that because it's hard, you know, and it's grueling. Um, but it is important to a lot of folks and people get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I think honestly, this time around, as strange as it might sound, like it was, it was a nice thing to have for a lot of people because it was every Thursday, at least you could count on sort of being able to dive into this journey that wasn't just hundred percent centered around the fact that we're all at home trying to make, make do with what's coming next. I think the most important thing is that you made Kevin look smart for getting you number one overall. <laughs> you, you provided Thank some you, value man. on that pick. That, well, hey, honestly, you picking Gregory was smart. If I, if frankly, if I'd been a betting man, I probably would have bet on Gregory myself. So uh, he's a beast. He's he's really really good. Um, and it was a real pleasure to get to, a chance to cook alongside him. Uh, and frankly, everybody there, um, there are no slouches this season for sure. Well, uh, Chef, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we, we really hope to see you in person soon at one of your restaurants. Uh, at the very least, um, thanks so much for sharing your story. In, in times like these, it's it's really important message. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me ramble on.
Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.